said, People want to be happy. Don't keep serving them your pain. Forgiveness can be one of the most difficult things we get to do. Stay tuned for why that serves us, not the offender, and how holding on to the dark days means that we keep serving up our past to everyone we come in contact with. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Last week, we looked at personal narrative research project I did and what I discovered about how we engage with risk. This week, we're going to look at some ideas on forgiveness. At an emotional intelligence conference I attended mid-year 2016, I and a couple hundred other folks from around the country found ourselves doing work to release old wounds, old stories that didn't serve us, events of the past that had caused us to put up walls. It was a particularly vulnerable exercise where the lights were off and people were allowed, in fact encouraged, to scream out their anger, to vocally set free and release pains they had carried. Always with them over the years, they needed to get them out. As I watched and listened and participated, I wasn't as wigged out as I thought I was going to be if, as my friends and I had discussed earlier, quote, there was screaming involved, unquote. In fact, what struck me most profoundly was how much pain everyone carries. Here was a large room filled with 170-something people from all across the country, different races, religions, genders, states, socioeconomic status, etc. But when the lights were down, we were all the same. We were all carrying deep, deep pain. I was so struck by the human struggle taking place in the room when an idea suddenly became phenomenally clear to me for the first time. Forgiveness is not about the other person, the one who hurt you. Forgiveness is about ourselves. When Christ said in Matthew in the New Testament that we are to forgive 70 times 7, I believe he was stating that there is never a time when it will be okay to burden our souls with pain, resentment, and hatred. There will never be a time when that will be good for us, no matter how many people do crappy things to us or how many times a person hurts us. It is never going to be enough for us to give them license to crush out our light and our love, which is exactly what carrying around anger and bitterness does to us. Let me repeat that. He was only stating that there is never a time when it will be okay to burden our souls with pain, resentment, and hatred. There will never be a time when that will be good for you. No matter how many people do crappy things or how many times a person hurts you, it is never enough for us to give them license to crush out our light and our love. He doesn't want us to have to be standing in that room screaming out the pain we have held on to. He doesn't want us to carry around pain and anger and hatred that block out the light in our eyes and the lilt in our step. Isn't that a clarifying thought? 
All these years, forgiveness was a difficult to implement concept that focused on people not being mad at each other and working through things that felt unfair. But this commandment, this practice of forgiving, isn't about allowing someone else to get off the hook. It has nothing to do with that. I know it feels like it, at least it did to me. But it's not about justice or mercy. Those things get worked out later. It's a practice to free our own energy from the dark emotions that cripple and crush us right now. And even though sometimes it feels like forgiveness is letting the other person off the hook, it's really getting ourselves off the hook. The hook that's going to keep us dangling from the end of a line held by another person never moving forward. The Dalai Lama said of forgiveness, It would be much more constructive if people tried to understand their supposed enemies. Learning to forgive is much more useful than merely picking up a stone and throwing it at the object of one's anger. The more so when the provocation is extreme, for it is under the greatest adversity that there exists the greatest potential for doing good, both for oneself and others." As I sat in that workshop and listened to the pains of all the unforgiven, I came to see the tragedy of not being able to let go of the old stories, the old grievances, the wounds that cut deep and never healed. Right in front of me was the thrashing of people wanting so badly to let their light shine again in their own lives, and they were fighting for their lives. They were seeking release from the wounds that hadn't healed so they could start to see with a brighter light and sprout wings. I have this poster on my bookcase of Captain Jack Sparrow, and it says, The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. Do you understand? Unquote. Here's a hard truth. It's never what happens to us. It's what we do with what happens to us. Now, I say hard truth because sometimes it sucks to realize that we're responsible for making the best of a bad situation. On the other hand, it's completely empowering because with this stoic's mindset, you are always in control of your emotion and your life because no matter what comes your way, you get to change your perspective so you can find the beauty or the joy or the learning or the opportunity. Our deepest wounds are sacred places, said Catherine Woodward Thomas. I'll bring her up again in a minute, but I liked how she acknowledged the profound effect of our deep wounds. Our wounds are real. They wouldn't hurt and wound if they weren't hitting our vulnerable, tender spaces. I find the verbiage of calling them sacred spaces as an acknowledgement of the role they play in our learning. They are places of learning. If you have experienced horrible things, and most of us have, things that have really pushed us into painful places. You know that we then have two choices. We are either crushed by the unfairness and the pain of the events, or we become a crazy warrior soul who fights for their life, in which case growth and progression is guaranteed. Those with the deepest sufferings are the warriors. Really, they have no choice. Fight and grow or be smothered by whatever event you can't bear to let go of. Those who hurt us have no control over whether or not we live a life of joy and love. That's important to remember. We are the only ones who can decide that. Only you, only me, 
Only I hold that power for myself. I saw this quote online yesterday. Never put the key to your happiness in somebody else's pocket. While it seems counterintuitive, at least to me it always has, that forgiving someone else is done to save me. It is what it is. Take the key to your happiness out of the pocket of whomever hurt you, put it in your own pocket, and start to shine again by breaking free of the anger, hate, and pain. Easier said than done, I know. Do you remember in episode one when we spoke about reframing, or when I spoke about reframing my victim story and finding a purpose, a meaning for the things that happened in the past? It was this reframing of my story that allowed me to let go of feeling like a victim, even the little bit that I held on to, because I could see a potential purpose for my suffering. The wounds of my past didn't change. I didn't forget they happened. But now I could see that maybe there was either purpose behind them, or at least I could repurpose the events for a good cause. I can use my experiences to understand others better, to lift and carry, to inspire and to guide when given the opportunity. What greater use could we have for making it through the nightmares than to shine more brightly, to be more badass, to have a larger heart? Have you heard the song by Rascal Flatts, Bless the Broken Road? If not, the words go, God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. It's a little country love song pointing out that he wouldn't be where and who he is without that broken road that he traveled, but it had purpose in leading him to the right place. Give it a listen if you can. Bit of a tearjerker. If you're not into country and haven't heard it before, it'll be a fun listen. There's a neat book called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. This is the gal that I referred to earlier. In her book, she says, Our unhealed wounds are invisible prisons, capturing us with their iron bars just as surely as if we were locked inside cold, gray, concrete walls. Sometimes it seems, no matter how hard we try to escape, that we will forever be prisoners of our own sad stories, doomed to repeat painful dynamics over and over and over again, in spite of our wishes to the contrary. She goes on to discuss later how as much as we profess to hate our brokenness, that we often set up camp and put down roots and build our entire identities around our tales of woe. She then talks about the exact route that I found with my victim story. She acknowledges that we can't actually get rid of our wounds, but we can find a way to make them meaningful, and when we do this, then we can move forward. Move forward. Let them go. She recounts a story from the classic Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor was a prominent Jewish psychiatrist who survived the camps of Auschwitz and Dachau, Victor talks of an elderly man who came to see him a couple years after his beloved wife had passed away, and the man was distraught with grief and couldn't move on with life because he was severely depressed. Victor had been through the worst types of suffering, so he understood pain, and he sat quietly and listened to the man pour out his grief and sorrow. When the man had finished, Dr. Frankel asked him just one question. What would have happened if you had died first and your wife would have survived you? Well, the man said, for her this would have been terrible. How she would have suffered. To this, Dr. Frankel replied, You see, such a suffering has been spared her. 
and it was you who have spared her this suffering. To be sure, at the price that now you have to survive and mourn her. The man was so moved by Dr. Frankel's words that he simply stood up, shook his hand, and left, never to return. Dr. Frankel then writes, In some way, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning. While these moments that break our hearts are a part of everyone's life experience, we have the power of choice in how to deal with them. You are the badass hero of your story. You get to find your power. You get to take back the key to your happiness and put it in your own pocket. The struggle with that dragon of forgiveness is often a mighty struggle. I won't pretend like it's not. Finding purpose in your wounds can sometimes be more than a one-person job, like it was for me in episode one. Letting go doesn't happen in a day, but sometimes it does. Sometimes there's a day where it's finally released. For your own life, work with urgency toward this goal so you can rise from the dark. Let the heaviness flow from you, stand in the light, and feel it warm your skin. It's worth it. And back to Captain Jack Sparrow, the problem is not the problem, the problem is your attitude about the problem. All he's saying here is that we assign meaning to the things that happen to us. The events in our lives are just events. The meaning these events have to us is created by us, through our lenses that we look through, our life perceptions. We control our perspective. If someone cuts you off in traffic, you can decide if that person is a jackass or if his mother has just been hospitalized for a heart condition and he's pushing his way through to be with her. If someone you don't know yells at you, you can give him the benefit of the doubt that he's had a really bad day and empathize with him and cut him some slack because you too have had a bad day before. Or you can confront and fight or let the interaction ruin the rest of your day or any number of potential responses. But the point is that you get to create that response. You get to create your reality. You get to interpret what's going on. And you can choose to be happy or you can choose to be angry and you can work through the emotions that come up and replace them with ones that benefit you. And it's hard work. I know it's hard work, but it's within our power. There's that story about the man on the subway with his four children. His children running all over the place, yelling and annoying other passengers. The father just sat there and let his children run around, unchecked, as he paid them no mind. He's staring at the floor. Totally checked out. And suddenly he's chastised by another rider. He looks up, surprised, and then explains that they are just returning home from the hospital where their mother had just passed away, and no one really is dealing with it very well. I'm sure this story has been true in many cities at many times. It illustrates how different a situation can be depending upon the lens it's seen through. And since we often don't have or know the whole story, it behooves us to give people the benefit of the doubt that everyone is doing the best that they can. This perspective helps us not to create and carry around unnecessary irritation, but it's also a reality check when bigger things happen. One, 
what's the whole story here? And two, I get to choose the lens I see this event with. Here's another story. I work in real estate, and a few years back I had a good friend who I was helping to do a real estate deal. I had helped her purchase her first home, sell it, and we were working on the purchase of her second home. She had recently remarried after a difficult first marriage and divorce, and I had been key in helping her to gain back her strength and step into her own power. We had been friends for years, and I had gone out of my way to help her through a lot of difficult times. Well, as we worked on finding her home in a city about 45 minutes drive away, we spent many days driving back and forth, and she put in one offer after another on homes that she then backed out of. They waffled between building, and she and her husband fought about how new the home should be. He wanted newer, but she was paying for it, and she wanted it to be more affordable. Since we'd been friends for years, I joked that they shouldn't build because building was hard on relationships, and those two didn't seem to be able to agree on anything. Well, a few weeks down the road, and further along in the process, she was pulling out of another offer and asked if she could legally put in offers on multiple homes at the same time. I had a talk with her, and we discussed ethics and consideration for the sellers, and I asked her to think seriously before we put in another offer on a home, as she needed to be serious about her desire to own that home. Well, this flipped a switch for her, and she fired me wrote a letter to my broker about why she should be let out of her contract in which she literally made up a list of salacious comments about my work with her. The vast majority were straight-up lies, while some were misunderstandings, like my comment to her earlier about suggesting they not try to build a home together. This list and her firing me was infuriating to me. Here was a person, a friend whom I had done a great deal for over the years, a friend whom I had put in many hours, days, weeks into helping them with their home purchase. And here she was, attempting to besmirch my reputation, attempting to provide no compensation for the time I'd professionally spent helping their family, and worse, outright attacking me in what was a very unexpected way. To say I was taken aback was an understatement, and for weeks I was shocked, and for months I was angry. Her betrayal was so unexpected and so offensive, and to me I could find no justification for it. As I've tried to look at it through other various lenses, I've come up with some theories. When she and I first met, she was a woman with no power. She was weak and victimized, and her newly ex-husband was running over her every day, in every way, she was still mothering his children, and they didn't belong to her, and she was fixing his meals because she didn't want to make him angry, and he was pushy and confrontational, and she was a wilting flower. Over the years, she found her strength and her voice through much coaching from myself, and I've seen this happen more than once, where people who have not had a voice and then take up their power, they swing to the far left. She went from having no voice to being an unreasonable bitch, frankly. I've seen it before. It happens a lot. People have to find that in-between set, and, and she hadn't found that yet. I think she was also embarrassed that I'd seen her and her new husband, the supposed and sought-after happily ever after, fighting so often as she rode over him repeatedly in this home-buying process. While I was an indirect party to these parts of her life, this event that was so unexpected and unrealistic to me, when seen through these potential lenses at least sheds light, some light for me, on why she might have done what she did. Forgiveness to me in this situation is a freeing of the unexpected betrayal I felt by her. 
And I only get to this point by trying to understand it a little, by trying to maybe see it from her perspective. What could she have been thinking? She wrote later and said she missed me and was sorry. Exactly like that. Two short lines. To which I so badly wanted to write a two-page tirade. But I did not. I let her go down her path, wherever that may take her, and wish her the best on her journey as she figures out her middle ground of having her power and being able to maintain healthy relationships at the same time. I'm not suggesting this was the only course or even the correct course. I'm sharing my chosen course and what it meant to me. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we welcome back the perpetrators into our lives. In fact, oftentimes that would be very unwise. But it does mean that we don't wish them a tortured death and we let them move on down their path while we move on down ours with a lighter load. I'll admit, it took me some time. Forgiveness is always a process for me. But I'm understanding it better and better. And that's called growth. The key to your happiness is in your own pocket. And if you've left it in someone else's pocket, it's time to go get it back. If you take something from today's episode, remember this. There is never a time when it's okay for us to let someone else crush the light out of us. This is why we forgive, to be whole, to retain our light, to move forward and past the dragons, like we talked about in episode two, and on to the happily ever after. Your challenge for this week is to find something you are holding onto in your heart, someone you haven't forgiven, some pain that's a dark hole that needs to be released. Start with just one and start the process of taking the key of your happiness out of their pocket. Find a purpose or a lesson learned from your experience. Try looking at it through different lenses in an attempt to understand their perspective. Often this process, finding a meaning for your experience, a lesson you can take from it, and then considering the perspective of the other can be keys in helping you honor those sacred spaces that are your wounds and wash out any bitter infection that still festers. On that delicious visual, (laughs) have a great week out there considering your stories and creating new ones. See you next week on the Love Your Story podcast. 